0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champchurch.com. I uh, want to get into the Word this morning. Uh, as we get into the Word, I want to invite you to, to take some notes. You can write a few things down. I encourage that because it helps you to to go back and revisit things. You know, we'll move pretty quickly through a lot of content and there's going to be something that just stands out. You'll hear it and you'll just think, "Hey, that was for me." There's times I'll say it and I'll think like, "Yeah, that was for me." And fortunately, I'll, you know, be able to revisit it and find out why was that so important? And most of the time, it's it's becomes very obvious. God is speaking to you, he's speaking to me, he's leading us in the way we should go. He's a really wonderful, loving, heavenly Father. And he's raising us up as his kids. And so, as we continue to to respond to those uh, uh, moments of awareness where we know God's doing something in our life, it's good to be able to jot that down and revisit it so that it can uh, be effective. Uh, We move through a lot here, and I want to make sure that you're able to uh, revisit that in your time. Uh, If you are taking notes, here's a few things that you can look for today. A few things that you'll find in uh, today's message. These are things that just kind of stand out to me. And, And most of the time, You know, it's during our time of worship, something will kind of come to mind that's here and we'll jot it down so that we can look forward to it together. Uh, One of the things we're going to find immediately is what God gives us. There's something that God is giving every believer, something that he gives us, and it's important for us to know what that is so that we can expect it, so that we can look forward to it, we can anticipate it, so that we can know uh, when it is that we need it, and if we know that we need it and God gives it, then we know where to go to have that need met, and we don't go somewhere else to have that need met. Uh, there's a, a, it's a very important thing to know what God gives, and we're going to find that uh, early on here. Uh, another thing we're going to find is two questions uh, that need to be asked whenever you're afraid, whenever there's any kind of worry or anxiety. You know, words like afraid or words like fear are words that are kind of big words, but we deal with stuff all the time that produces concern. It's kind of a light way to say it. Uh, can produce kind of anxiety or worry. Those are real common words. Worry is probably the most common. But there's two questions that need to be asked. And when we have those two questions in front of us and we can ask them and answer them, we'll find solution. will be easy to find. Uh, a third thing that we're going to find is uh, uh, what Jesus has all of. Uh, there's something very specific that Jesus has all of it. So that means you're not going to find it anywhere else. If he's got all of it, that means no one else has it. And when you're looking for it, there's only one place you're going to find it. So Jesus has all of it, and uh, that's the source. That's the only place you can go to get it. Uh, so I want to get into the Word. If you've got your Bibles, you can uh, open up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Now, this is where I kind of catch my breath a little bit. You set all of that up, and it takes a lot of energy to do that. And then as people are finding their way to Luke chapter 1, you know, you get a chance to kind of get focused here and recentered. And, you know, it's hard to get to church, right? I mean, it's a tough thing. It doesn't happen by accident. And, you know, you get up and you go through all of your routines. My routines were a little interrupted because we, we, I'm told we have a coffee maker in my home, but I don't know where it's at. You're the coffee maker? Okay, well, there you go. Well, I'm told we have like a machine that makes coffee that if I were to go and do all the stuff you're supposed to do, I can make coffee. It's put up somewhere. I don't know where it's at. So if I need coffee, I have to ask for coffee, and it has to be made through like this special contraption that has, you know, moving parts that I don't even know what they are, right? And so I requested some coffee this morning, and, and I was asked, you know, how do you want it? Would you like it hot or cold? I'm thinking, well, that's very nice. I've got options this morning, I hot or cold, I think. So I asked for warm, right? It's like I'm just somewhere in between hot and cold, you know. And, and then <clears throat> when I was, it was asked, how much do you want? And I just thought, enough to wake up, a large horse is what I want, you know. I mean, that's really what I want. And, and I think we got there, because when you drink it and all of a sudden you feel, you know, your entire body respond, you get that. Then you go and you finally, you're awake and you're moving and you're going through your routines and, and then, you know, you're met with a little bit of resistance. And, and sometimes that resistance comes in kind of like interesting ways, like, Like uh, this, for example, is is an area that is where there's some resistance. I mean, I try to live a pretty low-maintenance life, right? So you do that with things like, you know, your haircut, maybe your wardrobe. Don't look too close, but I might have worn this last week, and and that's not a problem for me. Like, I don't mind re-wearing things. It just takes all the guesswork out. Like I've joked before, I would make a great superhero, right? You go to your closet, and it's like tights and a cape, tights and a cape, Tights and a cape, no problem. Same thing every day, no problem. So you keep things easy. And, and today, it, it kind of got a little bit of a wrench in because how I normally do things when I'm getting ready, I was re- it was a request to do it a little bit different. And apparently, there is a hair product. Now, I'm pretty low maintenance. I don't go shopping for hair products, okay? You don't see me walking down the aisles like, I wonder what kind of conditioner I should use. Never happened. Uh, If it's in the shower there, I'll just grab it, squeeze it, rub it in, rinse it out, and we're done. It's pretty simple. In fact, sometimes I'll just take the bar of soap and be like, that should work, and then you're done. I get out, and I'm using the, the, the only hair product I can find. I don't buy it, so I have to, like, steal my wife's hair product. And so what I hear is, hey, don't use much of that. And I'm thinking, like, so what, half a handful? What does it take? And she says she uses a pea-sized drop for her hair, and I'm thinking, that's not gonna get it done, right? And then I hear about how this is now like really precious. This is the most precious material on Earth because it's made out of like ground unicorn horn and pixie dust, and and it's been discontinued, like you can't get it anymore. So I'm finding out now that I am uh, uh, using all of the most precious hair product on Earth, and I had to find some ways to get around that, so. You get through the, it looks sharp. Does that, thank you for that. And then I did it, you know, it's just one of those things where you start working through these things. You got to plow through it. And the whole time you're thinking, you know, I wonder if Jesus dealt with stuff like this. You know, if Peter's ever like, hey, how much of that are you using over there? You know, <laughs> you know, that's made of frankincense, right? <laughs> All right, we'll get, we we'll get going. Luke, yeah, there you, Luke chapter, Luke chapter one, we got to move here. Luke chapter 1. Apparently, uh, I need to find some different hair products. I'm using all the good stuff. Oh, yeah, there's more to it. Yeah, you're right. We got to go. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Luke chapter 1 is a really long chapter, okay? So you get to Luke chapter 1, and you'll find that it's it's one of those where you might even have to turn the page. It's so long. We're going to be kind of in the back half of it. And we use this passage scripture a lot, and I got it tip my hand. It's because it's kind of a personal favorite of mine. Uh, because of what it means and what it means to me and what it's done in my life as I've grown to understand it more and more and still continuing to grow to understand it more and more. Uh, Luke chapter one, I want to look, it's, you're going to find a a whole lot around verse 68 through the rest of it and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here but I'll read to you and then I'm going to stop and kind of explain what's being said because I think it's really important. I mentioned we're going to find what God gives us, we're going to find that right here. Uh, So if I began reading in verse 68, it, it would read something like this. Blessed be the Lord our God of Israel who's visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He's raised up salvation for us just like he promised to the prophets before that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all of those who hate us. He's done this to show mercy toward us and our fathers, to remember his promise, the oath that he swore to Abraham. It goes on to say that he would give to us that being delivered from the hand of our enemies, we might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness all of our days. This is where you stop and breathe, right? It's a lot. But you see that there's something really fantastic here. God is fulfilling his promise. Now, the first thing that you need to know is that this promise is made to you. This is a promise that's made to me. It's a promise that's made to us collectively, that God's promised to do something for us, and he's done this thing. And what we see here is that this thing that he's done is is that he has accomplished redemption. Now, it's kind of weird when you're in a small group to have words be repeated because you feel like I'm going to be bossing you around all morning, and I don't want to boss you around, but but I want you to say this word. I want you to say accomplished. accomplished. Yeah, did you notice the E-D at the end of it, accomplished, meaning it's done, right? There are many things that I need to accomplish. There are some things that I am accomplishing, and then there are the things that have been accomplished. The things that have been accomplished are done. They're completed. They're not in the process of being done. They're not on the list to be done. They are completed. So God's done a work on our behalf that is finished and it's completed. It's a work that's done in Jesus. It's the reason why when Jesus would be on the cross and he could actually say, without it being half true or partially true, it's 100% true, he could say it is finished. Now the question is, what is it? Was he just saying... This execution is finished or was he saying, you know, this specific time is finished or what is it that he's saying? Well, he's talking about what's being promised here, that God accomplished redemption for us. So if it's redemption that God accomplished, I want to know what redemption is. What does that mean that God's redeemed me? Well, I mean, we've talked about this before in some other messages and repetition is a good thing. But just for the sake of today, so that we're all on the same page, I think it's important to acknowledge redemption. When I think of redemption, I think of the Sunday paper and all the coupons in it and you clip them out, you know. I don't even know if people still do that. But you can read on the bottom of that coupon and it says redeem this for 50 cents off, right? Basically, what's happening is the, the, the store or the producer of the product is buying back this little piece of paper in the form of a discount. If you were to look up the word redemption, if you were to, to go by definition, it would mean to, to purchase or to, to buy back something. And, and what has happened on your behalf, what God has accomplished through Jesus, is he has purchased you back to himself. He bought you with the blood of Jesus, and and you are not your own, but you were bought with a price. There's a ton of scripture that would bear witness of that. But when that begins to have an effect on your mind and your heart, you can understand a couple of things. One, the fact that you were bought, meaning that there's a value on your life, that a price was paid for you. All of the sudden, any sense of worthlessness is gone. My life has value, and that value is the blood of Jesus. That value is the very life of Jesus Christ, that it was, put on, it was weighed and I was seen to be worthy of that price being paid all because of God's love and his affection for me, which sets me free from any feelings of, of failure and emptiness and worthlessness. The Bible uses the word belial. It means worthless. It sets me free from any of those things that would lead me to make choices and decisions that would be destructive because I know my life has worth. Because God has accomplished redemption for me. He bought me back. And for this reason, he did it to fulfill his promise. Well, what was his promise? That he would give us something. That when we were delivered from the hands of our enemies, we would serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness all of our days. That's a really interesting thing to think about. I mean, when I read that, I have to ask myself, what is it that God's giving me? If it's saying that when we've been set free from our enemies that we would serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness, what is it that he's giving me? Is he giving me holiness? Is he giving me righteousness? Is he giving me freedom from my enemies? I think the answer to all those questions indirectly is yes. But when I break down the structure of the way it's spoken and the way it's written, I can see the thing that he's giving me is the freedom from fear. And the result of that liberation from fear is holiness and righteousness. And how he's accomplishing that liberation from fear is he is destroying my enemies. And there's an important thing to keep in mind. I mean, if this is what God is doing in my life, then I need to acknowledge something. I need to acknowledge, first of all, that I have enemies. There are things at work in this world that do not want me to succeed. Now, frankly, I don't think they could care less about me. I think the only reason why they would even pay attention to me is because God loves me. And their hatred toward God is so deep that they want to defile anything that he loves. That's you, and that's me. And all of those efforts to destroy my life because I'm precious in the eyes of God make them my enemies and God's promise to destroy them. So the idea that I have enemies needs to be first and foremost on my mind. My uh, uh, knowledge that God is delivering me from those enemies is a wonderful thing to celebrate. And then the result of that is this freedom from fear that opens up the door for me to choose what's right. That's living a life of holiness and righteousness. I want to give you a, a passage of scripture here because I think this is really an important thing to catch. It comes from the Psalms. It's Psalm 27 verse 1. It's talking about you know, the result of salvation in your life, the result of, of giving your life to Jesus or being born again, whatever terminology you want to use. The fact that God rescues you, the fact that God delivers you results in something wonderful, and you'll see it here in the Psalms. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He's the strength of my life of what should I be afraid I mean, this passage of scripture is really wonderful and poetic and we've written songs based on it and we quote it and we talk about it, but I want us to understand it. The reality that when God brings his salvation into my life, the result is the absence of fear. God has rescued me, so what do I have to be afraid of? God's delivered me, what should I be afraid of? When God's deliverance is a part of my life, when his uh, salvation is a part of my life, there's no room for fear to prevail. There's reasons for that in the Scripture, and I want to see what those things are because I I want to look at this from a specific angle. Now, I mentioned to the guys yesterday when I kind of crashed their men's meeting, they had a topic going on that was, you know, by a couple of degrees connected to maybe the idea of some of this, not, not 100%. But I told them the idea of living a life free from fear is kind of a life message of mine. Like, I'm real passionate about it. Uh, I've seen how destructive fear and anxiety can be and I see a lot of, of information in the scripture and wonderful truth about God's removing that fear and anxiety from our lives being the result of the gospel. It's, it's just kind of a big deal to me. So if you were to hang out around me uh, very much, you would probably hear this spoken about a lot. You can come to Champions Church, probably going to hear this peppered into a lot of messages because it's really a big part of how I think and how I feel. But, but we'll we bring it up today. I want to look at it from a little bit of a different perspective, and, and you'll see that here in a moment. Uh, I want to offer this to you uh, from the Scripture here. If you've got your Bibles, to turn to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 is, is going to have a, a piece of history in it that would read like a story. You know, it kind of tells like a narrative, like, like you know, hey, one day this happened, and these guys went over here, and they did this. And it, it reads really... Uh, entertaining. But you have to remind yourself that this is an eyewitness account of something that happened. This is something that really happened and people wrote it down. And when they wrote it down, they wrote it down so that we could uh, experience what happened without having to have been there. So I'm going to begin in verse 35. Mark 4 verse 35. It reads like this. On that day when evening came, Jesus said, let's go over to the other side. Now, he's just talking about geography here, like going from one place to the next. I mean, imagine there was a lake between Abilene and Anson, and Jesus is ministering in Abilene, and he says, hey, let's go over to Anson for a little while, right? That's all he's doing is just saying, let's change locations. So he says, let's go over to the other side, and it's going to involve crossing a body of water. And leaving the crowd, they took him. They went in the boat, and and there were other boats with them, and then there arose this fierce gale of wind, and the waves were crashing into the boat so much that the boat was filling up with water. And the, the Bible says this, Jesus was asleep, asleep on the cushion that was in the boat, and they woke him up, and in a panic, they were saying, teacher, don't you care that we're dying? Now, anytime we visit this passage of scripture, I always kind of point out that I've prayed that prayer before. God, don't you care? Don't you see what's happening here and don't you care about it? I mean, have you missed what's going on here? Have you gotten busy and are you overlooking all of the difficulty and all the hardship and all the frustration and all the hurt and all the rejection that I'm sitting here soaking in? The reality is God's very aware of your situation. But sometimes panic can rise up and our thinking gets distorted and we feel very abandoned and alone. And that's the resulting prayer, don't you care? So when they wake Jesus up, that's what they ask. Teacher, don't you care? We're dying. And then Jesus gets up and the word says, he rebukes the wind and says, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And then Jesus asked these two questions. Remember earlier I told you we're going to find out what two questions to ask when you deal with any worry or any concern, or any fear or anxiety, Jesus asks two questions, and these are worth paying attention to. He says, why are you afraid? That's question number one. Why are you afraid? The second question that he asks is how is it that you have no faith? And then the, you know, the scripture goes on to talk about the, the, the things that transpire after that, but I want to stop there because those two questions are the thing I want to focus on this morning. Why are you afraid and how is it that you have no faith? And and one of the things I think has to be emphasized here in order to accomplish anything worth accomplishing is an awareness of who Jesus is. I mean, like it's good to know who someone is. When you're reading the scripture, this is like a 1300 page text, right? So if you were communicating with someone and you wanted them to catch the emotion and, and the attitude and how you were feeling, would you text them or call them? You would probably call them so they could hear your tone. They could, I've sent texts before that didn't read very nice, right? But when you, uh, I got a text once from Bill, Pastor, we need to talk, right? And Bill's a loving guy. Bill is a hugger, and he's all over this, just all around wonderful guy, relationally amazing guy. But when I got the text, Pastor, we need to talk, I thought, uh-oh. Because <laughs> it just doesn't read right. Well, the reality is that was the perfect way to say it, right? I need, he needed to talk to me. But when you send something in text only, sometimes you can miss kind of the, the, the love and the affection and the, the compassion and the concern that's, that's meant to be in the tone. Well, when you read the Bible here, this is nothing better than a 1,300-page text if you don't know the heart of Jesus Christ, if you don't know his attitude and his feelings towards you. You can hear questions like, why are you afraid? And it can almost sound like he's mad at you. Why are you afraid? The reality is, this is a real wonderful, like, fatherly moment, an educational moment, where he's pulling aside the one that he loves, and he's saying, hey, you need to be able to identify, why are you afraid right now? That way you'll know what you need to deal with so that you don't panic and do stupid stuff and waste your time and your energy. You're over here bailing out the water from the boat and you need to be speaking to the wind. Hush, be still. You need to find out why. Find out the source of that fear and anxiety or else you might be chasing your tail. This is a really educational moment, right? To keep them from panicking and and making poor choices and decisions. And then that next question, uh, how is it that you have no faith? I mean, if you don't know the heart of Jesus, it just sounds like he's kind of, you know, having a, a holier-than-now moment where he's bashing you for being such a, a small believer, right? How is it that you have no faith? You know, I've heard pastors preach like that. <clears throat> it breaks my heart. I remember one time, a, a really great pastor, I mean, he's, he's, he's done some really phenomenal work. He's much older than I am and is... is uh, has accomplished wonderful things but he shared this story once with me and, and it was a, a moment of uh, uh, it was a very teachable moment for me hearing this from him he'd preached this message and, and went back to his office and it really felt like he'd kind of given the congregation exactly what they needed to hear and when he got to his office he sat down at his desk and he, He said the Holy Spirit just revealed to him. I mean, sometimes we say God spoke to me or however you want to word it. The point is God communicated to him, don't ever do that again. (laughs) And here's a pastor, and I know this feeling, you know, where you feel like I just brought down the house. That was awesome, you know. Couldn't get better than that. And he's there having one of these moments and it's interrupted by the Holy Spirit saying never again. And, of course, you know, his response was kind of like a kid, what I do, (laughs) you know. And this was what he shared with me. He said this is what he heard in his spirit, I will never let you beat my sheep again. And he realized something. He realized that he took something that was true and just abused people with it. He didn't bring it into their life. He just beat them with it. And it changed his perspective on, on how he needed to deliver that truth. And, and I think when you know the heart of Jesus, you don't read this as in how is it that you don't have any faith. It's not this, this beat down where you feel smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and weaker and weaker, but rather his heart is to acknowledge where the issue lies. His heart is to ask something that really is meant to provoke a decision or a choice that will improve and increase uh, the productivity in our life and and our sense of safety and awareness. And and it's, it's for our benefit, not for our humiliation. Jesus isn't a bully. So when you see these two questions and you know his heart, you realize these two questions are good and they're important for me to ask. When I'm facing problems, whether they're relational or they're financial or they're, they're in business or ministry or anything that produce concern or worry, I need to ask myself, why am I afraid? And if afraid feels like too strong a word, then just substitute something lighter. Why am I concerned? Why am I worried? Why am I anxious? Just fill in the blank there. Why? And when you answer that question, you're going to be able to identify where that enemy is, that thing that's producing anxiety, that thing that's producing concern, that thing that's producing worry. When you can actually identify your enemy, you can actually identify what God promised to destroy on your behalf. Because the word is that he promised to destroy our enemies and deliver us from the hand of all of those who hate us. That's what we opened up with out of Luke. When we can answer why we're afraid, we can identify that enemy. And then that second question, how is it that I have no faith? Now, this is the one I want to spend a little more time on because this is really interesting to me. And I think that we can get this wrong a lot, especially in, in the church community as it concerns faith. I grew up being instructed that faith was a measure of belief, and, and I think that is uh, uh, partially true. I, I think that there's some element there that can't be denied, but I'm not sure that that's really correct, right? Because you either believe or you don't believe. I mean, there's no doubt about it that that's something that just happens. We've used this example before, and many of you who've been at Champions have probably heard it before, but, you know, the question has been asked, do you believe in elephants? Do you believe elephants exist? You know, I mean, the answer is, yeah, I believe in elephants, you know. And then if I were to say, well, believe in them harder, believe in them more, how do you do that? You know, you just sit there and focus harder. I believe more in elephants now. No. So I'm not sure that that's really the case. And I've heard a lot of messages where people just just really position people to fail by encouraging them to believe more or believe harder. I remember one time being in a service with a, a wonderful man. He's a spiritual father of mine. And he is, uh, uh, I hope that we have him in here. He was scheduled to come in. There's been a lot of uh, changes over the past few years that have made things challenging. But he, uh, he asked me once to, uh, he gave me permission once. He didn't ask me to, he, he permitted it. He said, would you be interested in walking with me when we minister tonight? He said, I don't want you to do anything, I just want you to stand next to me and walk. And I said, well, yeah, I would love that. It was a real, it was a real privilege to be able to do that. And he'd called people forward for ministry. It was really, you know, it wasn't a huge mega church. It was a big church. I mean, like there were hundreds of people that came forward. And that night, he'd promised to lay hands on everybody. And as he's laying hands on those that came forward, you know, people were were receiving ministry for whatever need they came forward for. And <clears throat> there probably been a couple hundred people, and it was a really wonderful thing to witness. And we were getting toward, you know, the last little stretch of group a group of people there, and There's a guy that's kind of standing in the back, and he'd been standing in the back on purpose, right? Probably because he was wanting to see, is this real, you know, a little bit standoffish, so to speak. And because he was standoffish, he was standing off over there. And he finally made it to the front because everyone had been ministered to. And as he made his way to the front there, uh, uh, Nigel is the man's name, went to minister to him. And as he, uh, he walks up to him, he asks him, you know, well, what, what do you need? And, and, uh, and the guy mentioned that he had some ailments and some things. And, and then he began to, to pray for him. And the guy said, wait, 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 stop. And, and Nigel says, what is it? And, and the guy that's there for ministry said, this is really, really hard for me to believe. Now, in the church that I grew up in, you know, I probably would have, they would have pulled him aside and said, well, you have to have faith. Let's talk, you know. And Nigel just looked at him and said, I know, mate, it's really hard, right? And then prayed for him, and the guy hit the floor and was healed. It was pretty awesome. But I saw that, and I think this whole night of witnessing this ministry was so that I could see that, to see that it wasn't about this man believing harder. He admitted this was a struggle for him, but he was there. He came and stood there. Believing and trusting that something would happen. And it was hard for him to do that. It's hard for me to believe sometimes. It's hard for me to see past what's right in front of my face, but I'm committed to doing it. And it's not about doing it harder. It's about doing it right. And I want to show you what I believe doing it right looks like. Jesus talks about faith. And I want to look at that uh, in, in just here as we wind down. And we're going to wind down with this because I'm spending a lot of time on that. Remember that first question is why? Why? Why are you afraid? You're going to identify your enemy. And then once your, identi- your, your enemy is identified, the question was how is it that you have no faith? I mean, first of all, you've got to look at the difference between why and how, right? I mean, why is the, the cause, the reason? How is a, is a whole other concept. How is in what way or in what manner? What's the cause of your fear? Is question number one. And then... In, in, in what way is it that you have no faith? It's a really great way to ask. I want to talk to you real quick about faith so that we can identify where we need to be when we're addressing these things. And I think the best place to find any information or direction on faith or what faith is comes from the gospel of Luke chapter 7. I'm going to paraphrase this because we don't have a lot of time. I don't want to read the whole story word for word. But in Luke chapter 7, You'll see Jesus is ministering and the reputation of of the ministry and the people that are healed and the devils that are cast out and all of the wonderful works and the the message that is filled with power and truth. His reputation is now spread and people know about the ministry of Jesus Christ and what God's doing. I mean, it's a very popular thing and and there's a lot of uh, uh, buzz about what's going on. An individual who's a a, a military man, a, a Roman soldier, a high-ranking soldier, has one who's like a son to him who is deathly ill. He's dying. And he sends word to Jesus saying, you know, could you please uh, uh, minister to this situation? Uh, And and Jesus says, yes, I'll go. And there's reasons for this. This guy is a a lover of Israel. He's a supporter of the Jewish people. There's just a lot of things in the scripture here that are really worth noting. But for time's sake, we're going to, to stick to our point. And as this, this man is, is revealed his need or his need is revealed to Jesus, Jesus says this in response. I will go and minister to your son. Now, for most people, that would be like, all right, this is a win, let's go. Now, what's said here is you don't even have to come. You could just give the word and it'll be done. And, and then this statement is made because I'm just like you can you imagine looking at Jesus and saying, I'm just like you? (laughs) Well, that's the work of of the gospel. This, This soldier says to Jesus, I'm like you in that I have authority over me and I have authority under me. When the authority over me says go, I go. When the authority under me hears instruction to go, they go. Basically, he's saying I understand authority. So I know that if you say the word, my son will be healed. I understand authority. This whole conversation is about what? Authority. I mean, I mean I'm going to ask you again to say that word. Say authority. Yeah, this conversation is about authority. This guy is saying, "My son needs to be healed. This one that's like a son to me is dying. he needs to be healed. I understand authority, and so just say the word. And then Jesus steps back and says this. Remember, the conversation's about authority, right? He says this in response. He turns and he says to the crowd that's following him, I say to you that nowhere in Israel have I found such great faith. Faith. The conversation wasn't about faith, was it? The conversation was about what? Authority. And Jesus hears this understanding of authority and he acknowledges it as the greatest manifestation of faith that he's seen interesting, isn't it? That faith would would not be measured in this like believing harder, but rather faith would be measured in this understanding of authority. And so when Jesus says that we should ask ourselves, you know, why are we afraid? And then he asks, how is it that we have no faith in this situation? He's not asking us about our measure of, of belief. Are we believing hard enough? He's asking, why is it that you don't see that I don't have authority over this? Whether it's the wind or the waves or your bills or this relationship or this or that or the other, how is it that this has happened now where you don't see that I'm bigger than that? Let's fix that. And if we can fix that, I think we'll fix the problem overall. Jesus is loving and he loves you. He loves me. He's not looking to just drag us along like we're some kind of baggage or hardship to him. But he's raising us up and setting us free from all of our inferiority and leading us in the way that we should go so that we can do things right. And this whole story here isn't just because somebody wrote it down for good reading, but this is meant to inspire us in how to live. When I see this and I understand that now faith is not about me believing, but it's about me understanding authority and who's in charge, the rest of the gospel begins to make sense. I want to give you a couple passages of Scripture, and we're going to close with this. Think about the season that we just came out of, you know, with the nativity and all of the wonderful celebration of the birth of Jesus. You'll find in Isaiah chapter 9, around verses 6 and 7, why Jesus was born in the first place. And the passage of scripture would read something like this, that that unto us a child will be born. And this this promise is given that the government will rest upon his shoulders, that that this authority, this leadership, this headship, the government will rest on his shoulders. There'll be no increase or no, no stop to the increase, excuse me, of his government, his rule, his authority, and the peace that will result from it. It's going to continue to increase and increase and increase and increase. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. And then consider this from Matthew 28 when you look at, at the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's gone to the cross on our behalf, he comes out of the grave on our behalf, and when he stands before us, that's the disciples, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Think about that for a second. I mean, This man accomplished redemption at the will of God to bring into existence God's promise to see all of our enemies destroyed, to open up the door for eternity and restoration between man and God. There's a whole lot that's going on here. And when I consider the first words that come out of his mouth when he stands before those whom he loves, I think this is a pretty intentional thing to say. And the first words out of his mouth are all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. There's something that needs to be noted here that, that when we face the, the challenges that exist in the world, first of all, we need to know that God's promise to destroy our enemies. We need to be able to identify our enemies. That was the first question. Why are you afraid? And then we need to know how. And that's going to come in answering the second. How is it that we've lost faith? How is it that we've lost sight that Jesus has authority over this situation? What's happened? Who have we listened to that we need to stop listening to? Is it the voice of the internet? Is it the news? Is it our our relationships over here or over there? And let's stop listening to those things and start listening to the voice of the one who has all authority in heaven and in earth. And then let's follow his instruction and do what he says. And let's see the results that will come from that. And I think what that will do, we'll have to go back to the idea of the individuals in the boat that are freaking out, thinking they're about to die. It'll keep us from chasing after the wrong thing and help us to deal with the right thing. It'll keep us from panicking and making things worse. And it'll lead us into addressing the real issue and the real problem and seeing things get better. This is the promise of God for us. This is how our enemies are destroyed. This is how redemption is lived out in our lives. This is how our lives are free from fear and we're set free to live in holiness and in righteousness for all of our days. I want to pray for us this morning. So I want to ask you to stand with me. But as you stand, I want to offer this thought that anything that you would be worried about, anything that you would be concerned about, anything that you would have any element of anxiety about in any measure i don't care how big i don't care how small i would encourage you to write out the answer to those two questions as it concerns that thing why am i afraid and then how is it that faith is absent in this and then make the proper adjustments how is it that somehow i've lost sight that jesus is bigger than this How is it that I've lost sight that Jesus is stronger than this? How is it that I've lost sight that Jesus is closer than this? And then you can take the answer to those questions and and take them into your prayer. I've asked God to help me make changes before. And it can sound as simple as this. God, help me to see what I should see and not see what's right in front of me. Help me to to know or to feel what I should know or I should feel and not be led astray by all the noise that's around me. Sometimes I think we feel like we have to perform in our prayer life and it has to be so poetic that it's overwhelming. But I think in general the prayer is just, God, will you help me get this right so that I don't get it wrong. And it's really a liberating thing to consider. I want to pray for us this morning. I want to ask for God to help us answer those questions so that we can begin to address and deal with the right things, so that our lives won't be wasted in a panic, but that we would be effective, effective in cooperating with God to see all of our enemies destroyed and to see our lives effective and productive. So there where you stand, I want to pray. You can be in agreement or or simply receive this prayer, however you choose, but I want to pray for you. Father, we bless your name. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for leading us and guiding us. Thank you for being a loving father to us. To calling us by name and adopting us. Let us feel that love and affection right now in new and greater ways. Let's feel it in our hearts and in our minds that any sense of abandonment would be washed away. That we would know that we belong. That you've redeemed us, paid the highest price to draw us close to you. Not so that we could waste our lives in a panic, but so that we could live our lives empowered by truth. Let the truth prevail here and now in our hearts and in our minds that any element of anxiety that exists in us would be met with the questions that Jesus would ask. Why are we afraid? Let our enemy be identified. They might be drawn out. And how is it that we've lost sight of the authority of our King Jesus? Let that question always be answered with the statement that Jesus rules, that he reigns, and that all authority has been given to him in heaven and in earth. And let it leave no room for victory for any one of our enemies or any one of those who hate us. Jesus reign as king in our lives, over our minds and our hearts and let us be known as a people of faith as we live out our lives with the right understanding of authority that we are not led by our circumstances or our situation but that we are led by Jesus Christ, the king of kings the lord of lords and let the wonders of this truth prevail in our hearts and minds that we would think different that we would act different, we would do different, and that all the things that we would bring into this world through our lives would bring you honor and glory as we live out our lives free from anxiety and worry, walking in the full measure of victory in Jesus. We bless your name and we thank you for your goodness. We rejoice in your love for our lives. We thank you for uniting us together by your spirit and calling us to do great things in your name. We bless you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all the saints declare, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.org.